0: turn to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. And let's stand as we honor His Word together. As we continue in our summer in the Psalms, the fifth edition of this, if you will. Psalm 47, beginning with the title, To the Choir Master, a psalm. Of the sons of Korah. Verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we follow up from last Sunday with Psalm 46. Psalm 46, 47, and 48 all work together in a way for us to be reminded of the beauty of Zion, the city of God. And last week you may remember that we talked about that the city of God was not uh, exclusively a geographical location, but it was about a people. And we are part of that city of God. And I mentioned to you um, last week when we were talking about patriotic services, about how 52 out of, 51 out of the 52 weeks out of the year, um, everybody would be pretty well um, stoic until the patriotic service comes along, and then all of a sudden everybody would get very, very anim- animated and very demonstrative. Well, I, I think when we look at this passage here, um, I wonder what folks like that who worshiped like that did with this psalm. I don't remember really hearing this preached much growing up. I mean, you, you look at it, clap your hands, uh, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Um, you, you, you see there, sing praises. Well, Verse 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, sing praises with a psalm as it bleeds over into verse 7. So there is a, a lot of outward demonstration when it came to types of worship. Now, in growing up, um, not to bring too much of my history in, but I bet that my history and your history, or at least for some of you, may be the same, is that we were taught that we are to keep still, be out of reverence for His holiness. So when we would come into a worship service, we didn't talk, right? And I mentioned that to you. We didn't talk. We didn't say anything. Everybody sat down, and the idea was to get your hearts and minds ready to encounter the holy. So you didn't say anything. So you were to stay quiet out of reverence. Now those that may have grown up in a different type of atmosphere where there was singing and shouting and clapping, what they would say is, it's a celebration. We are celebrating all that God has done for us and how in the world you know, can we keep quiet, right? And so when you have this group over here, holiness, reverence, and you have this group over here, celebration. Sometimes you would find division in the church because this is the way it should be done. And so you look at someone that's doing it differently. Well, you're doing it not differently. What's the word they would say? You're doing it wrong. And, so the, and it would go the other way as well. I, I sometimes just wish that people would allow the Bible to inform them more than their own feelings or their own upbringing. Because this particular passage actually talks about both. You can do both. I was talking to someone about how sad I am that my children are reaching a stage when they're going to be leaving home. And I was reminded by someone that, but that's what you were working toward, is for them to leave home. And I'm like, well, you can be both. You can work toward it and say Amen. Go and get on with your life's work. We're here if you need us. And still be sad. So you can do both. I tend to think we tend to go one way or the other. And I think God's way, honestly, is always the best way. The context of this passage is worship, but worship is under the understanding of deliverance, that God is a God that delivers. We tend to say God is a God that saves. So when we're talking about saved, being saved, salvation, we're talking about rescue. We're talking about deliverance. Now, in this case, it was deliverance from the people of that, that were in the promised land. And so they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and they're rem- being reminded of how God delivered them from the enemies as they were going into the promised land, leaving Egypt. That enemy as well, both ends, when you're leaving but also going into the promised land, it is deliverance. And so you're you're reading this and you're thinking, well, so this is just about Israel, right? Israel is clapping and shouting. That doesn't mean that we Baptists are supposed to do that or we Christians are supposed to do that in our dignified 21st century Western culture. Now, we're not supposed to be able to do that. And I'm thinking, though, is God delivering us now? Yes. He is saving and rescuing a people to himself all over this world. In fact, some of you, you may have come in here and you may not have been rescued from your sin and from yourself. That's the greatest enemy we have. We worry about Russia and we worry about China and we worry about this and we worry about all of these different things. The worst enemy that any of us have is ourselves. Because we live with each other, we live with ourselves all the time, and so we need to be rescued. And so, when God comes and rescues us from our number one enemy, self, one a is the devil, but ourselves, then we have also reason to demonstrate our gladness and joy in all that He has done. So, what I want you to see, first of all, um, and you can just write this down. I didn't include it in your uh, in your notes, but Feel free to use that, or you can just listen and read. That's fine. But number one, I want you to realize that praise is an international invitation. Praise is an international invitation. So clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now, there's reasons for us to do that. Every, in, in fact, in every section of this, you see this. Clap your hands, shout, and then you see the word for, and then you give, have the rationale. Verse 5, you know, God has gone up with a shout. Sing praises, verse 6. For God is king. So there's always a reason. We don't just come in and do things willy-nilly. There's always a reason behind it. And since we understand that God is, is in charge of all of the earth... We have reason to rejoice and celebrate, especially when we're hearing this noise everywhere else that we're in charge. We're the ones that we're going to set our course. You're not going to be able to do anything ultimately. He may give you room for a while, but he's also going to give us room to be able to see how detrimental any path that we go, aside from King Jesus, is a bad, destructive path. You see? And so that's what we're talking about here. So, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. Why would I fear God? God's not supposed to be feared. Well, if you as unholy enter into the presence of the holy, there will be fear. There will be awe. There will be worship because you're going to see the worth of Him over and against the lack of worth of yourself there is going to be that piece of where you need to fear him and and there's always a, a, it's good like when you're growing up and even you know even if your parents are nice you know there's it's always good to have a little healthy respect and fear of your mom and dad for the consequences not because of anger but just because you know there's going to be consequences they have your best interest they want to you to succeed and if they see you going on a path that's bad then they're going to come along and say whoa don't do this and there's going to be those boundaries that are going to be put up. But really what we're seeing here is, clap your, does it say, clap your hands, all Israel? Does it say, clap your hands, oh church? Well, of course not. This is a thousand years before the church began. But you, but you, you get it. You understand. Does it, does it say, clap your hands, oh Judah or oh Benjamin? No, it says, clap your hands, all peoples. So even back then. God was trying to establish with His people, to greater or lesser success as how they received it, He was trying to establish to His people that God is not a tribal God. He's not simply Israel's God as far as Israel as a geopolitical nation. He's not just Israel's God. He's not just a God of a certain locale. He's God of the world. And so when we're looking at the Great Commission, we see this. We see where, it's, where he's talking about all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations, everybody. And we are to go to, to, to the ends of the earth. But for some of us, it's easier to go to the ends of the earth than the ends of our street. But the street is part of our world. The street is part of the earth. Your neighbors are part of the ones that you're supposed to love, all of us are in on this. And so when it's talking about here, he's great king over the all, all the earth, verses three and four, now this is where I came to this passage and I'm like, well, I'm reading this with a, a certain mindset because I was reading as he subdued peoples under us. And I started thinking, well, you mean there's, there's a caste system? There's a category here? No, no, he's talking about that the people that were his enemies, that they conquered them. They were that, That's a way to say that they were conquered. So when if you read through Joshua 6 through 12, you see that God was going to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham hundreds of years before. He was going to fulfill it under Moses and ultimately Joshua that this land was going to be Israel's, going to be God's people. They were going to go from being enslaved to free in their, free under the Lord, but in their own land. But there were people that were occupying it. And some people said, well, we understand the Lord, come on in just let us live with you. Fine. Some were like, well, we don't want that. And so there ended up being this contention, this this fighting that was going on, but God had promised them this land. And so God was showing that he was king over all of the earth. It wasn't like, well, that works for you, but this works for me, right? That's kind of what we hear nowadays. Well, I'm glad Jesus works for you, but that doesn't mean that he's going to work for me. This is working for me. We don't operate that way, and it's really easy to slide into that because we want to be nice to people. But I think it, it, we can still be nice to people, but still be truthful in saying one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, First Timothy 2.5. So this is what he's saying. He chose Israel. He chose his people for a heritage for us, the pride of Jacob. So if you're not familiar with the Bible and you're talking of, and, and they were singing this song, the God of Jacob, well, who's Jacob? I don't know any Jacob. Who is this Jacob? I thought he was my God too. Why is he just the God of Jacob? Well, that's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were the ones that basically set down all of the ways that we were going to be moving and working. They were the patriarchs of the Old Testament that that were the foundation of everything that we're building upon in the Scriptures. And so... You're looking at this, and you have to realize just a number of things is that when they recognized all that God was doing, now I I talked about Joshua 6 to 12, that's when they were going in. And at every point along the way, what they were doing was they were rejoicing and they were shouting at the victory. And so whenever they got ready to attack, there was this trumpeting, there was this shouting that was going on. And so, that's where you get into, into uh, verse 5, verses 5 and 6, where the, the praise is coming from a deliverance. So, uh, th- this used to be called the Museum of the Confederacy in Richmond, but they changed it to the American Civil War Museum. I don't know why. I guess they did. No, we do, we do know why, right? Because it, it was about the entirety of the Civil War. And there was this interesting recording that was over in the corner. And somebody, and those of you that may know a little bit about Civil War history, may have heard about the Rebel Yell, if you haven't. What the Rebel Yell was, was when the Confederates were getting ready to attack the, the federal troops, they began, they were, they were hiding in the bushes, kind of guerrilla warfare type, and, and all of a sudden, when they were getting ready to attack, they would let out this scream. It's called the rebel yell. And we heard a little bit of the, the recording of what they thought this was. Now, this guy was about 30 or 40 years older than he was because it was 1895, 1900. Civil War ended in 1865. But even then, you could just imagine what he was doing, and you multiply it by 10,000. And they said it was like a corkscrew coming up your spine. It was horrifying. To be able to hear that, but the idea was is to be able to put them back on their heels, and so they would be scared, and they would have a better chance of a victory. Um, when you see this, though, every time that they get ready to go in Joshua six to twelve, every time they get ready to go on the next step of the attack, every time they get ready to go on the next step of the conquering and the the procuring of the promised land, it says they would go up with a shout, and they would go up with trumpets, shouts and trumpets, and trumpets and shouts, and shouts and, shouts and trumpets. And you can imagine how horrifying that could have been to be able to hear that. But it was a way for them to know that God's people were on the march. And so when it says here, God has gone up with a shout. That's our accompanying him in that shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And then you see in verses 6 and 7, sing praises to our God. What was that? Well, sing praises. Can you tell it to me one more time? Well, sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Did you not get it the first time? Well, here's why you do that. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Now, you say that's nice that there is a warfare that is going on with the people of Israel. Thank you for letting me know about that. That's really interesting history. Uh, What does that have to do with me? In reality, our Christian life is a warfare. It is, a, it is a warfare. Has the war already been won? Yes. That's why we have the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation reminds us that Jesus wins. Right? You can look at all the other stuff in Revelation, try to figure out how it fits and how it works and what's going on and you know, try to put it up with the news and put it up and how is this fitting and such. Keep in mind, Revelation is about Jesus winning. He wins. He will win. He has won. Does that mean that there's not going to be battles all along the way? You're going to have personal battles and temptations that you're going to have to deal with all of your life. You're going to have people with other ideas that are going to be saying things and questioning things about the things of God. And you're going to have, a, you're going to have that coming at you. And you're even going to be tempted to react in, in the wrong way toward them, forgetting the grace that God has extended to you. God has called us to extend that to others as well, even as we tell them the truth. But the fact is, is, when you read in, in uh, 2 Corinthians ten four and 5, it talks about how the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So and when we're talking about a warfare, that doesn't mean that we have a stash of rifles in the conference room because we're now engaged in a warfare, and so you're going to go on mission, but be sure you grab your piece. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the, that's not the weapon of our warfare. The only offensive weapon we have when we we're talking about the armor of God is his sword the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's how we change things. That's how we change lives. That's how our lives were changed. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so when we recognize how we were conquered, we were conquered by the Word of the Spirit. That's how this world is going to be conquered, whether willingly by some coming to Christ or unwillingly necessarily when Christ comes back or we're all standing before the judgment seat of of Christ. You know, I I was thinking about this um, not too long ago because one of our our dear members, uh, Phyllis Harrell, she's going through a a bit of a struggle. And it's pretty well documented in our prayer guide, but she's going through a bit of a struggle. And uh, dementia, that long goodbye, really tough. But when I first got here, I preached a sermon, on Luke sixteen nineteen to 31. If you're familiar with that, that's about the rich man and Lazarus. And they both, they both have very different lifestyles. Lazarus, very poor. Um, rich man, I mean, filthy rich. Filthy rich. This guy was filthy poor. They were so far apart, but they had one thing in common. You know, that, well, two things in common. One, image bearer of God, and two, they both died. And the rich man who had nothing to think about God went to, went to hell. Lazarus, whose only hope was in God because that's all he had, went to heaven, was in the bosom of Abraham. And I'll never forget is that the rich man never asked to get out. He never asked to get out. But what he did was he said, well, could you give me a little, little drop of water to cool my tongue? Can you make it a little easier while I'm here? never asked to get out. Can you make it easier while I'm here? And then he said, could you please send someone to go back and tell my five brothers? And Abraham said, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Listen to them. You know what that means? They have the word of God and they already have access to it. They know how to get access to it. Listen to what the promises are being preached and writ- written about and talked about. That's, that's how you get conquered, That's how your sin gets conquered. That's how your brokenness gets conquered. It gets conquered by the sword of the Spirit, by the Word of God. Because God is showing us His grace right up front. You you, you think about this. I mentioned this during the knowing God portion when we were having Sunday school. And I mentioned uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. I think I may have quoted it, but I didn't give you the address. But it was Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the spirit uh, uh, that is at work uh, in the sons of disobedience. And it talks about how you were children of of wrath like the rest of mankind. But verse 4, the greatest prepositional, the greatest little phrase and fragment in all the Bible, but God made us alive, right? So God doesn't make you alive when you get your act together. God makes you alive in the midst of your deadness. God, and while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, Christ died for us. But then I was also, we were, we've been going through the 10 commandments in a book called Pathway to Freedom by Alistair Begg in our staff meeting. And so each of us take turn at how Alistair Begg deals with the commandments. But I was reminded about how the commandments are, are laid out. At the very beginning in Exodus twenty, in verse one, this is the MPV Matt Perry version. That what it says basically is, "I am the Lord your God." And then he basically gives the commandments. Did you know how gracious that is? Think about it. Because if it was about if it, if it was about a gospel of works, do you know what it would say? Here's the commandments, and if you obey them, then I'll be the Lord your God. You see. He's already shown us that. And so we obey out of our submission and love and worship of him. Not out of this type of fear of him where I better get my act together before so he'll, he'll love me. No, he already loves you. Dear Christian, he already has shown his love for you. He came and gave that love to you and delivered you from all that you are. Not just the world. He delivered you from you. And so when we're looking as God has gone up with a shout, verse 5, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. God is the king of all the earth. He's the king of all the earth. He knows everything about me. He knows all that I've done. He knows all that I want to do. He knows all that I'm going to do. He knows everything that I've said. He knows everything that I've thought he is the king of all the earth. He's even the king of your brain. He's the king of your heart. He, he, that's under his rulership. And he knows everything about you, and yet he still says, come. I will adopt you, and I will make you mine, and I will give you my name. I will deliver you, and I will make you to be a part of my kingdom. I will make you to be a part of my family. When you know and remember where you were, think about the Egyptians. They were enslaved, and now they have a promised land that will be theirs. You think they weren't excited? I would say we have more of a reason to be excited. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, bound for hell, deserving every bit of it, wanting every bit of it, and now God comes along and so changes our hearts that we don't care about ourselves anymore. Now, all of a sudden, He so delivered us that we want to be His. Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises to the fourth power. Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. Clap your hands, shout. We have a, what are people going to think about me? What did those people contribute to your salvation that you're so worried about? I'll wait. Nothing. Not one iota did they contribute to your salvation. Yet we're more worried about how they're going to react than about our reaction to Him. And I'm guilty of it as well, right? Right? You don't want anybody pulling us aside, you know, you got to keep it together. So I remember, this was another one, this is how people think about it. So um, I was on staff at a church, and I was brought into the pastor's office, which Hopefully when you're brought into the pastor's office you don't feel like you're being you know in trouble like going to the principal's office. I hear people say that every so often. Oh, I hope it's not like that. I hope it's a little bit better. But this was the only time that I would really get a chance to talk to my pastor was when uh, when I needed to do something or I had done something, which thankfully wasn't too terribly often. But there was a fellow that was sitting in the back that was standing in the back row and everybody was in choir and this dude was letting it go. He was just letting it fly, everything. Boom, boom, boom. He was let, and um, brought me into the office, and he was telling me that I needed to to tell Dave to uh, to take it easy. Now, I'm 26, 27, and this dude was intimidating, and this was my first full-time ministry, so I was like, uh, okay. But, and I, and I, but I, then when I finally got past that, and I started saying, I'm like, on what grounds? because you know I am you know, reading the psalms and of course 1 Corinthians 14 talks about orderly everything's got to be orderly and what that meant what what that was meaning was is that there were people that were speaking in unknown tongues and there was no interpreter and, and it was it was mayhem it was chaos no one that's the orderly this was this for my pastor was disorderly that was disorderly and I never had that conversation he never followed up because I just couldn't find grounds Biblical grounds for that, and we sing this song: "Trust and obey, trust and obey." For there's no other way to be reverent in Jesus. We sing about happy, singing happy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where you know we sing about that all the time, and yet here we are. Sometimes we get in church, and we're like, "Well, whoa, yeah, well, whoa, not easy." And then, you know, if somebody does do that, someone comes along and, as the hall monitor, and tries to, hey, you know, take it easy, take it easy. And then you begin to think about the logic, all that he's done for me, take it easy. He, I'm not going to hell anymore. Take it easy. He, I'm his. He's mine. Take it easy. Are you kidding? I'm not going to take it easy. In fact, I'm going I'm to praise even harder now, right? That, that's what you want to really f- feel like um, you end up doing this, because we are of all fallen short of the glory of God. And He's rescued us. So the gathering that we see here in verses eight and nine, God reigns over the nations. He's established that king over the earth. He sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gathered together as the people of God of Abraham, right? You may remember from Psalm 2 where it talks about the the nation's rage and the people's plot together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they said, said, let's come together and burst the bonds apart. The bonds being the bonds of God's word and God's authority. We don't want that anymore. Let's burst it apart so we can run through the meadow and do whatever we want. And and he thought that was freedom. Well, they just actually sentenced themselves. That's not freedom. But there are princes that are going to see the glory of God that are going to come together. And they are going to gather as the people of the God of Abraham, which is us, because Abraham was the, Abraham believed, it says, and, it, and God credited to him as righteousness. So anybody that f- walks in faith in Christ is a son of Abraham because he's follow, or following by faith in the promises of God. And you see here, the princes come together. Why? for the shields of the earth belong to God. What does a shield do? Protects. Some of you are worried about losing your salvation. And here's why. Because you have a great view of your sinfulness. I say great, magnified, big. It's it's there. Now, some don't think they've sinned at all, and God didn't have to work that hard on them, right? We've talked about that. God didn't have to work that hard on me, but he really had to work hard on that guy. No, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all reclamation projects, and God comes along and brings us to himself. You see, but when we look at at this, the shields, you're not saved because you've earned it. You're not saved because you deserve it. Well, I just don't feel like I'm worthy. And if you, th- and we've had conversations, I've had conversations with some of you, and you're like, you're talking about my, con- no, there's so many of you that have said this. I don't feel worthy. And you know my response? Some of you have heard me say this in, in various variations of the theme. Good. You're not. I'm not. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. I don't like that. Tough. Because that's where we are. And that's a good thing. We mentioned during the Sunday school, talk, people don't want to come to church because they don't like feeling guilty. Well, there's, there's times that's bad guilt, and people are making you feel guilty because you're not measuring up to whatever they think you, are, you should be. But then there's guilt when we're not measuring up to what God would have us to be. That guilt that I've talked about right here, right in here, I talked about, that guilt, it's bad guilt. Nobody should be putting that on you. This guilt, it's a good guilt. Because this is God making you aware of your unholiness, but also making you aware of His holiness. And He doesn't say, that's it. He says, come. Because I'm going to rescue you. Not because of who you are and what you've done. I'm going to rescue you because of what I've done. And I'm going to bring you in. The word church comes from the word ecclesia, which means called out ones. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were blind, now you see. You were lost, now you're found. And it's all because of him. It's all because of him, and none of it is because of anything that we have done. So, I'm not worthy. You're not. Praise God. Because if you thought you were, then you wouldn't get all that he is. And he will protect you because you're going to sin. You're going to mess up. But your reaction is going to be, he's opened up this invitation to me. He's a dad that he tells me he's gonna, he wants me to come back to me. Dad, I'm sorry. Abba, Father, I'm sorry. I repent. Come. And you'll be, and you're because you're adopted. Because once you're his son, you're never going to be an unson. Once you're a daughter, you're never going to be an undaughter. And this is the deliverance that he gives to us as king. But he's also our father. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. And he came down. Even though he was exalted, it says that Jesus rent the heavens and came down to us. Because we couldn't climb to him. He came down to bring us up to where we need to be. That's why he came to the cross. He came down to get his kids and to bring us to where we needed to be. So, is that worth clapping over? I'd say. I'd say. Is that worth shouting over? That might be a little, yes. This is not multiple choice. There's only one answer. It is worth shouting over. I heard someone go, mm-hmm, that's a good one too. Yeah, they need to put that. <laughs> that's a good one. But no, sing um, Sing praises. Yeah, but I'm tone deaf. I I don't, you know, whatever. Just, just, he's worthy. And he auto tunes. By the time it gets to him, it sounds so pretty. Have you been delivered? Because Jesus, even in the midst of all the things that go on in this earth, the more you think about Jesus, the more your eyes brighten, and the more you smile the more your heart lightens, the more you realize, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, but I am so glad that this is not all there is, and I'm so glad that even while I'm here, I'm not by myself doing it. You're not alone. Sing praises, sing praises. Sing praises to the king of all the earth. Sing praises, sing praises with a psalm. Clap, shout, let it fly. Because of all that he has accomplished for you. Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say, use us for your glory. Lord, I I really think the ultimate point of this that you're trying to tell us is to keep our eyes on you. Peter didn't keep his eyes on you and sank, but when he kept his eyes on you, he was steady. It doesn't mean, Lord, that you're going to move us away from all the issues of life. It means that you're going to be with us to give us strength in the midst of them. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. Father, I fear that there may be some here that have not trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. They have not surrendered to Him. And if they were to leave and to die right now, that they would not have the hope of eternal life. But just as sadly is that they don't have the hope of eternal life now. You've promised to come and live in us, not for us to wait for heaven to encounter you, but we can encounter you right now. Thank you, Lord, for rending the heavens and coming down. Thank you for our our crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, exalted, interceding Jesus. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to seal our hearts for you even as we're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Here's my heart, Lord, the song says, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above, and we can have that hope even now. I pray, Father, none of us would leave this place without knowing this beautiful, majestic, glory glorified, risen, exalted Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray you would rescue us all. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So as you come you can come and use these steps as an as an altar of prayer. You can pray right where you are. You can get somebody that you know and trust and say will you pray with me? But I'll be also be standing here. The reason I come and stand here is just because sometimes that act of stepping out just means that there's a focus there. Sometimes we don't step out because, well, what are they going to think? Boy, if I walk up front, they're going to think something really is terrible in my life and I don't really need that right now, so focus, focus. The song that we're getting ready to sing is, without him we could do nothing. Well, that is a great encouragement to all of us. Come, surrender your all to Jesus even this morning. Let's stand together as we sing.